Hello, everybody. Welcome back. So happy that you are all listening, whoever you are. We were just talking about how amazing feedback is and knowing you all are out there listening and watching whoever you are makes our work so much more meaningful. So give a shout out if you're if you're able to. And if you're not, we are so glad that you are able to hear us out because we care about what we're talking about. <laughs> I do. I care about what I'm talking about a lot. And so I'm so grateful that I have an opportunity to share it. Um, so I'm Lucy Diskin. I'm an advanced nurtured heart approach trainer, and I've got some of my colleagues, I guess we'll call each other here, nurtured heart approach advanced trainers as well. Um, we're going to chat today about finding greatness and the nurtured heart approach. So, um, go ahead and introduce yourself guys, and then we'll move along after you. Okay. So I'm uh, Richard Berger. I'm, uh, I have a practice mostly in Washington state living in Chicago, I've uh, been a Nurtured Heart trainer since 2010 and been an advanced trainer since 2013-14. And I'm just excited to be here. I've talked to Moosey before and uh, this is great and love Freddie's Monday Monday messages. And uh, with that, I'll pass them on to Freddie. Well, thank you so much. I am Freddie Mendoza. I think I've done several recordings with Moosey. Um, I am an advanced trainer, also in Nurtured Heart, as a teacher for many, many years. Um, now I like fixing stuff and teaching Nurtured Heart. So <laughs> that's who I am. I guess that can be the same thing, fixing stuff and doing Nurtured Heart. Mm -hmm. In a funny way, because then there's that negative, negative version of fixing right. stuff and then the positive version of fixing stuff. and. It doesn't have to be broken to be fixed, I think. Maybe, I don't know. I don't like the idea of, that it has to be broken to fix it, but maybe. Everything can always get better. Repair and improve, reuse, mm -hmm. uh, like a lot of that. But a lot of people think that things do get broken. So if you have the belief that it can get broken, there's an opposite reaction to everything. So you have to believe it can get fixed. You know, like I, I have somebody who she's always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I told her a couple of weeks ago, why aren't you waiting for the other shoe to arise? Mm -hmm. Like, how does the shoe get up there to drop, right? You're not always dropped. So if you believe that the shoe can drop, then you also have to believe that the shoe can rise. And so why don't we do that when we're sitting in our WMDs, worry, misery, doubt? Yeah, this too shall pass, right? You know, it's like, oh, see, the shoe drop. Yeah, but it's going to come back up. So let's let's spend this time waiting for the shoe to arise. Put the same energy as you have in anxiety, put it in belief and excitement that the shoe's going to rise because it will, because otherwise it won't be able to drop again. There's a funny joke that um, I don't know if I'll deliver it in a funny way, but it is, it, it is a funny joke how I heard it. Um, in Judaism, there's a concept of like an evil inclination and a, and a, um, righteous inclination. I don't know. I'm not thinking of the right word for the good one, but anyway, just like these different poles in different directions. And so there's this kid, the, you know, this person who's telling a story this morning, there was such a fight inside of me. The evil inclination wanted me to stay in bed and was telling me to stay in bed. And the, you know, the good inclination was telling me to get up and let's go, let's start our day. And it was such a big battle. And, um, you know, this one said this and that one said that. And I don't know, maybe it started at 6 a.m. again. I don't know how to deliver it well. But the point is, is that what's the end of the story? The end of the story is that the good inclination won. And at like 12 p.m., I got out of bed. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, it's the, if you wait long enough, then the next thing's going to happen. You know, like mm -hmm. we're still here. 
and this too shall pass. And eventually, you know, something's going to change. Something's going to change. Maybe not what we expected, maybe not what we were looking for, but something's going to change. And um, it's never, never, it's never going to be the same. So we don't need to attach ourselves to any specific anything because it's never going to be the same. Yeah. I was thinking when, Richard, when you were talking about the the other shoe dropping, I was seeing walking. And I know I've, I've thought about this before. I think walking is rhythmic, like day and night and seasons and breathing. There's, you know, there's a rhythm to it. It's very natural. What I like about it also is sometimes, especially parents, teachers, you know, in difficult situations, we want to be centered. We want to be grounded. We want to feel like we have both feet flat, but you can't move that way. Right. Mm -hmm. So like to your, to your arising and falling feet, like the act of walking means you're constantly off balance. You're balancing on one foot, then the other, then the other, but you're never solidly on both feet. And that's what makes progress happen. So it feels wobbly. But it's amazing when you like, yeah, figure that out. That's beautiful. Because what happens when you're on both feet? You're stuck, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is so. That is such a cool analogy, and yeah, I'm like really feeling it because the idea of feeling comfortable with discomfort, or you know, like um, secure in the unknown, like the the clarity of lack of clarity, like all of this is like um, has been enormously useful in my life and really the difference between living with intense anxiety that I want to fall through the ground every minute to being in serenity and peace, like really, um, in a nutshell. (laughs) Um, but that's really what it's saying. And I think to try and uh, have a little bit of an agenda here, this is a good segue into the greatness thing, which we don't, we can just kind of go wherever, but it, it, it is a good segue where, it's so easy to frame things as, oh my goodness, I'm struggling again, or oh my goodness, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I don't, uh, why are we still here, or what are, why are we still dealing with this, or when is this going to go away? And the very same fact that the thing is still happening or that the struggle is still going on can also be an indication, and this is what we talk about in Nurtured Heart with the Toll Taker, which is always to try and see things in a new way, make that choice to find what's right. Well, it's still here and I'm still standing and I'm still walking and I'm still moving and I'm still trying and I'm still processing and I'm so strong and resilient and I'm so brave and I'm so the the very fact that a kid is, you know, um, so angry that they're breaking rules is also a reflection of their immense self-control that at that level of anger, they're handling themselves in a way that isn't worse than it is, you know, like if they're that, if they're in a, in an adult relationship, you know, if, a, if somebody who loves you, somebody who loves me can say something mean to me and I know that they love me, they must be in so much pain. So then it's like, wow, look how they're, they're in so much pain and, and that's hard to have so much pain. And so if they're in that much pain, how great is it that they're chugging through it and that they're, you know, now not, you know, now breathing and not saying something mean to me and whatever is going right. But um, anything can be in, you can, the, the fact that we're, the fact that my feet are moving can be like, oh, my feet don't rest. Right. Or it could be like, I'm going really far. Look at me. Look where I'm going. Yeah. What, what I'm thinking of the most, cause I know we talked a little bit, must see about, you know, so many people and so many of us get stuck looking 
for the intensity. And that's a greatness of nurtured heart is that we can take these negative feelings or rough feelings, the worries, miseries, doubts, we can breathe them and create greatness. But there's just a, a benefit in just looking at greatness in and of its own self. I find there's a big um, pitfall though, a trap maybe, where we start labeling things falsely great. Like when I am really frustrated, I find myself saying something like, oh, look at this guy. He's really the greatness of being, you know, a jerk or being pushy or, you know, you start taking negative things and just claiming it as a greatness. And I think we can even do that with ourselves when we are not acting in our best way. We just claim that as a greatness. You know, we speak all over somebody. We don't listen to them and we're like, I am the greatness of knowing what I want to say and making sure my voice is heard. And it's nuanced because there can be a benefit to that. But I also just want to point out the potential negativity in that. So for me, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is it's a lot about just purity. It's a lot about searching my own intentions. And so like in that, in your example of anger, like if my son is feeling something enough to be angry, like, yes, there's greatness in his self-control. There's also greatness potentially in his sense of justice, that something was upsetting him enough to be angry. So then we don't really want to worry about the anger or not. We kind of want to worry about what things trigger that anger. Like the anger is great if you're getting angry about people suffering and, and needless injustice. And, you know, it's less good if you're getting angry because, you know, someone cut you off in traffic. So I, I'm babbling a bit, but what I'm trying to get at is I don't want to just call any behavior great. I don't want to start saying, well, look at this thing that's really horrible about me that I should probably address and just call it greatness and everybody else, you know, deal with it. But at the, but there is a way to look at every behavior or every situation. There could be a positive to it in a different time and place. So I want to utilize that and learn that, but then use my own intention to make sure that I'm actually aligned with what I'm trying to be aligned with. Hmm. That's beautiful. And I think, you know, piggybacking on that and also just taking it. So for me, I, I think for what's coming for me today on greatness is greatness about yourself, not necessarily about finding greatness in others. And I think there is a fallacy sometimes that we want to kind of claim that. But I think there's also a misnomer sometimes that we think that greatness is you have to show up perfectly, right? Greatness is I always have to be happy. Greatness is, you know, and and greatness to me, that's not it. I mean, you know, that's how perfectionism works, right? And so how can you make a mistake and be perfect? You know, well, how you can make a mistake and be perfect is you deal with the mistake. Wow, you take responsibility. I'm so sorry that I behaved that way. Can I make amends, right? And that's greatness, even in, in mistakes, right? And so being congruent with what's happening to you, so you're something else at you, you can feel, you know, congruently disappointed and still be and still have greatness, right? And so, and then when you can allow yourself to have all of your emotions and still really congruently be great, it's showing up in that moment the best that you can and not your perfect best, right? Because perfection says, I should show up this way regardless of what's happening in my life. And I think greatness is showing up at your optimal best. So maybe I didn't sleep 
Maybe I didn't eat. Maybe I got fired from my job. So I'm not going to show up is as my best self. Right. And so when I do couples work with this stuff with nurtured heart, it's like, have, find out, you know, if I don't know that you are not at, not at your perfect best, I'm going to expect you to be there. So walking in and saying, you know what, I'm at a four today. You want to talk to me right now? And I know it's super important for you to talk to me, but I'm at a four. So I'm going to show up as four. So I might not be quite as attentive. And you're at a 10 needing to talk to me right now. So if you can do that, then that's great. And I think that that's also greatness, that we don't have to show up in our perfect best, but show up at our optimal best and, and share that with people. I actually did a workshop, um, or well, not a workshop, but in my I do continued education with my group coaching that I do. So we like we kind of dive deeper into each itty-bitty piece of Nurtured Heart as we go, like five minutes a time. It's just an hour. So there's a lot to do in, in an hour. And I want all my participants to be able to share and everything. So, um, but one thing that just, I don't remember where, how or where it struck me, but I, I stuck it in there and it was a great conversation. Greatness is relative. I just love that because I don't remember what I was mimicking. Something else is relative. But, you know, in one situation, I, I, we, we talk about it in gratitude. And I've probably said this on a recording before, but, you know, there's someone out there who's happier than you with less than you have. Somebody out there has a mud hut with no running water and they feel so lucky and grateful that they are not out without a mud hut. They have mm -hmm. shelter, they have privacy, they have their own home, like they're rich, you know? And so great. And here I am with my, my water pressure, not as good as I want it. It's like, oh, they used up all the hot water. Kids, can't you take shorter showers, you know, <laughs> like, or whatever. It's relative. It's relative. And so greatness is relative. Greatness is relative to how I slept, like you said. To how my marriage is going, I always say, you know, my my um, my my financial bucket, my relationship bucket, my sleep bucket, my food bucket, you know, like how, my tanks actually is how I like to say it. Yeah. But you know, all of those tanks, you know, based on how full or empty they are, that's my performance. And so optimal performance on an empty fuel, on you know, on an empty bank, on an empty tank is going to look different than optimal performance on a full tank. And that's exactly. that's yeah. not only that's not only like fine, it's actually great. Like actually it's great because we're not in charge of the circumstances of our life that happens to us. You know, we, we show, we show up. That's what we choose is how we show up. And so we're showing up with circumstances that were given to us and brought to us and put around us. And so how we show up to that, that's optimal performance when you're on empty, it's relative. And, and I think that's, that's a huge part of being able to really appreciate greatness really is having that ability to accept the reality of where we're at because I'd like for your tanks to all be full that would make parenting you a lot easier mm -hmm. I'd like for all of you to have you know your good sleep and your good and, and to not have any triggers in your life because then you know but to be an acceptance of the, of the fact that you are where you are I think that's a next intention of nurtured heart baby steps, you know, you are where you are. And actually, if I can attune to where you are or where I am fully it, with that empathy and that presence of mind and that attunement, I'll much more naturally know great what greatness is here mm -hmm. because I can't really grade it until I'm, you can't judge someone until you're in their shoes. Like I don't actually know what's greatness for you until I really know where you're at. 
I have definitely been accused of being too philosophical and loving to dive down a, a rabbit hole of sorts, but I love the conversation about what perfect is. I think a lot of us have not spent as much time thinking about it as we can. So we just are with the platitude, you know, well, perfection is not possible. There's no such thing as perfect. And you know, I don't, I don't love that. I think we need to redefine it. To me, it's the philosophical question of, is it what is ideal or what is real mm -hmm. that we value more? You know, a triangle, very philosophical idea, but a triangle cannot exist, right? It's a two-dimensional thing. We can only see it in three dimensions. Every triangle we've ever seen is imperfect by definition, but plainly that's a silly way to go through life. We've seen triangles that are very valuable. They're not made valuable because they're ideal. The ideal triangle doesn't even exist. They're made valuable by how real they are. Well, similar with ourselves, our spouse, our family, our children, they're not made valuable by how ideal they are. An ideal form of the, whatever that relationship is doesn't even exist. They're actually made real or made valuable by how real they are. And then I like to take that into like, again, the quality of greatness, you know, you were talking about Masi, is so dependent on purpose. So I really get stuck, you know, even in the car metaphor because of all the tanks. Well, there's perfect air pressure, there's perfect mileage. There, like, what does a perfect car even mean? Doesn't it depend on, is it taking a lot of people? Is it a transport? Is it moving a lot of stuff? Is it trying to go fast? Is it trying to go far? Is it trying to do that fuel efficiently? Is it like, there's so many things. And then people, you gotta multiply that by a billion. So I'll just end with one more metaphor, like food for thought for the viewers is, <laughs> this is what goes on in Freddie's head if you wanted an invitation. Um, like a chair or a knife, two very simple things. So we can't talk about what a virtue of a knife is. It depends on what the purpose of the knife is. If the knife is to cut, then to be sharp is a virtue. But I think we all know, just logically, as you sharpen and sharpen and sharpen a knife, it gets weaker and weaker and weaker, and it will eventually become brittle. So if the value of the knife is longevity, then sharpness is not actually a virtue. And then I mentioned the chair. Similarly, you know, if comfort is a chair uh, is comfort is what you're looking for, then you're going to like certain sorts of chairs. It's a kind of funny story, but I was in charge of facilities for schools for, you know, 20 years and the kids, Mr. Mendoza, why are the chairs always so uncomfortable? Why, if I got you comfortable chairs, you'd fall asleep in class. Like it's mm -hmm. a very simple reason. It's not that we can't design comfortable student chairs. It's that why would we want comfortable student chairs? And they're like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. So I think again, long-winded, but what is ideal versus what is real? And then the greatness quality has to be related to the purpose. And that will change the way we view our kids and our relationships, I think, greatly when we actually wrestle with that for ourselves. I'm struck by this thought of what if the purpose of something was informed by its qualities versus informing something or letting something know what its qualities should be based on the purpose we want it to have. Yeah. Yes. And being in the reality of this is me, this is what I've been through, or this is what I'm going through. This is what I have. This is what I've been given. This is who we are. So then what can I do with that? And then comes the greatness because mm -hmm. now I have this purpose that's actually aligned and sensible based on 
who I actually am, which means that then we have, you know, the blue being the blue of the rainbow and the red being the red of the rainbow and not the blue trying to be the red and the red trying to be blue because that wouldn't work. You know, there's actually, um, uh, there's there's actually a lot of Hasidic thought, like Jew, Jewish philosophy that's coming to mind here. Um, so I'll, I'll try to manage to make it understandable uh, mostly, but uh, very simply, this is not, you know, too philosophical at all. But there's a daily reader that um, one of the leaders of Chabad movement wrote that says uh, one of them is like, um, I don't remember the whole thing, but basically like if a baker bakes bread and a, a a diamond, you know, dealer deals with diamonds, like the diamond dealer needs to deal with diamonds and the baker needs to bake bread. Like it would be a sin for them to try to do each other's thing. Like it's not about, well, diamonds are more, they're more expensive and more, you know, and bread is more, if there's not more or less, it's not one or the other. It's what you're good at is what you need to be doing. Like that's what you can bring to the world. So often we want our classrooms to be a certain way. We want our families to be a certain way. We want our kids to be a certain way. And it's coming from a place of wanting them to be successful, but what even is success and who's even deciding what success is and the humility and trust and courage it takes to base purpose off of qualities and say, you're a kid, Rick Lavoie, not nurtured heart, but an amazing educator who I watched when I was in like seventh grade and literally probably I'm here today doing this because of him, because he opened in seventh grade. I watched his thing and I was like, I know exactly what this world is supposed to be like, like, whoa, he just totally captured me. Um, but he says, you know, you have a kid who uh, the only thing he knows how to do is screw in some screws. You unscrew every screw in the house. And when he gets home, you give him the screwdriver and you say, no one can do this like you go get him. You know, if I can inform purpose based on qualities, it's like I have this kid who won't stop for a minute, who is so wild and so climbing the walls and so oppositional. So whatever all right, if those are his qualities, how can I make use of this? Right? Mm -hmm. Like, so then, so then what's purposeful? How can this be? Cause everything's purposeful. Like you said, the knife, the chair, you don't want to sit on a knife. <laughs> you don't want to cut the chair, <laughs> but we need, both. you know, fire is the most life-giving thing and the most destructive thing. It is both. So where do I want to use it? You know how, to, so these are the qualities in front of me. Okay. Let's find the purpose that connects with this. And now, where's the greatness? Oh my gosh, it's so apparent because if the purpose is based on the qualities, then this kid's gonna gonna be the perfect, you know. Then it's then it's the perfect deal. I'm not I'm not. There's there's actually someone in my community who's an organizer. She's amazing. I'll give a shout out to Malka Ruddle, who it mm -hmm. from the Organized Fairy. If you are in Arizona or Phoenix, Arizona, anyways, find her. She's incredible. She has incredible work. She hosted me on one of her lives, um, which was very fun, but also I know her personally and she's amazing and her brain works amazing and her house is set up amazing. And it's just, she's so talented. And for a while it was intimidating. If you're watching the small cup, I will let, hear you. Here you go. I was intimidated of you. I still am sometimes um, because it's so not my thing, but me being like, how come I'm not more organized or how do I get more like that is it's, it's great to learn from her and to get more organized in my life. Welcome Kathleen. Um, it's, it's, but it's, it's, um, but it's silly to judge myself up against her because I'm doing amazing work. There's no question about that. And it's not organizing because that's not me. And yeah, my house is going to have right now, there's two sinks filled with dishes. And that's just the way it is. Also, the cleaner didn't come yesterday. Wow. Um, but 
you know, that's just me. And but but I'm out here doing these lives and these and these recordings and sharing all this stuff. So purpose for me is to enhance the world of parenting, to enhance enhance the world of parents and how they view themselves. And and that's what I found based on my on my values, on my qualities, on who I am. And so I'm using that purposefully. And so there's all this greatness here. But if I start judging myself based on organization and cleanliness, there won't be that much greatness. I'll be the greatness of, of acceptance. And um, I don't know what else. It'll be what Freddie was talking about before of, of, um, of, of kind of like glossing over issues by calling them greatness. I'm the greatness of disorganization. I'm the greatness of having full sinks. Like, no, that's not really greatness. And I'm not really excited about it. And yet I'm not either judging myself for it because I know that my qualities are great and I'm in the world showing up with them and sharing them and my dishes will get clean when they get clean. So, um, okay, so Kathleen just joined us and um, Kathleen, we are having a great conversation. I'm so glad you're here. You're the perfect person to join us in this conversation about greatness. Um, let me just say, for those of you that don't know, and Kathleen, I'm gonna let you introduce yourself as well. Kathleen has written one of my all-time favorite children's books called The Greatness Chair. Mm -hmm. It is the nurtured heart approach in a children's book. I read it to high school. I read it to my parenting group. I love it. It makes me cry and get chills every time I read it. It is so cool. Go find that on Amazon. Um, and then she's gone on to create this whole like world of The Greatness Chair. And it is amazing how she's really um, bringing so much to our world and community. So anyway, Kathleen, please introduce yourself. Um, tell us what you do, and then we'll kind of just continue our conversation. Wow, thanks, Moosey. First of all, I just want to say I am the greatness of finally figuring out my Apple ID password so that I can get in. <laughs> <laughs> that took about 20 minutes, but I persevered because I really wanted to join. So um, thank you. I now have a new um, I, Apple ID password that I wrote down. Um, anyway, Moosey introduced me. Um, it, I have different hats in part of the world i'm known as a child psychiatrist and i work with adolescents on an inpatient unit and um and i'm an author i'm a musician i'm a mom i'm a uh just kind of renaissance learner i teach meditation i do a bunch of different stuff and um i i, I i'm gonna kind of pull back i i i, I think i i don't know where the, this conversation has been going but I heard greatness and purpose did I get that right yeah that is a that's a that is a big topic of interest to me because oh I don't know maybe four or five months ago I really started thinking about that how you know everybody wants to find their purpose you hear people say that all the time what's my purpose you know and and I thought well you know you can't do it through the mind really um you you really need like how do you know how can you know what your purpose is if you don't know who you are and one of the ways of knowing who we are is to really understand our greatness our superpowers like you know Moosey's purpose in life is not to have a clean kitchen although I'm sure she would enjoy having the dishes done in her sink I get that but yet you know, you know, you know, you have the greatness of understanding where your superpowers are, and you're going for that, and you're gonna just figure out the rest somehow along the way, or get somebody else to who has the greatness of organization and cleanliness, or 
you know, whatever, attention to detail of, of the home, you'll find somebody else to do that. Because, because if you don't, you are not going to be bringing to the world where your greatness lies. And your, one of your greatnesses is communication and your use of words and in the raw emotional experience that you communicate on these, every time I hear you speak, you've, you've been a great inspiration to me. Um, anyway, I, and I'll just say one last thing and that I will tell you this greatness and purpose business that it's really helped me to understand that one of my greatness qualities is actually creativity. And I was praised my whole life for other qualities, um, including mm-hmm. intelligence, which is why I ended up in medical school and all that business. And okay, so whatever. So maybe I have that. But I, really what makes me tick is creativity. So that's been really helpful to find my purpose. And I'll, I'll just end it there. And I think I'll go back to, I think, one of our conversations, Missy, about, so, you know, when we don't even know we have these qualities that we're supposed to be sharing with the world and discovering them is so powerful. And there's an organization out there and it's, um, and you can put it in the comments later. Um, it's called viacharacter.org. And what they do is, um, I don't know if you've heard of them before, but I'm familiar. they've done, yeah, they've done a lot of research and they've taken like 600,000 qualities of human beings and they give you a quiz and they tell you your top, I think 25 or 50 qualities of yours. So 50 isn't your worst quality. It's 50 out of like 600,000. And what they found is if you're not living your life out of those qualities that, that God or spirit or higher power is giving you to share with the world, then you're going to feel a lack, right? And so when I work with people and I'm like, did you know that humor was your number two quality? And I'm like, no idea. And like, you know, and when they started finding ways to, in, when they were looking at their life, they were in situations that they weren't even allowed to bring that quality out. Like they were maybe lawyers in a law firm and they couldn't, you know, everything was serious and, and their home, they're married to, you know, an engineer who everything is structured and there wasn't, you know. And so when they started incorporating humor into their life, they found purpose and then that opened up a whole new branch. And so to know what your qualities are and work it from that way, not go find them, but actually these are what they're already in me, you know, and you kind of unlocking them, you know, rather than creating them, then you're just much more free to, 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 to live out of your purpose. And you find more meaning in that. And when you start incorporating your top five or your top 10 on a daily basis with your kids, with your family and your life and your work, um, it's magical. Richard, could I just jump in real quick? That, that's a wonderful survey, that VIA Strength Survey. And for kicks, I took it about two months ago because I was creating a course on greatness and purpose. Mm-hmm. I thought, what the heck, I should go back and take that quiz. Now, I, it took me years to figure out like internally what my greatest strength was. But when I took the survey, my top strength was, um, well, number two was creativity. There you go. See? Yeah. And yeah, it's not there. And I thought, wow, I wish I just took that that test. Like I could have maybe like shortcutted this a little bit, you know. Maybe I should have taken that test a long time ago and just believed it. Right. And so here's the thing with that, because we talked about this earlier today. Uh, we were talking about regret a little bit, you know. And 
you know, the fallacy of regret sometimes is thinking that if we would have found it in a different time, it would have went well. But that's not always true. If you would have found it then, that might not have been the right time. And then it would have taken you down a whole nother path. And then you wouldn't have the right time today available to you. Yeah, very true. Richard and I were talking about that earlier. It was like, I met the Nurtured Heart Approach in Howie in the late 90s. It didn't register at all came back, you know, 20 years later, and it really did register. But I had 20 years of teaching high school kids by then. And I had raised my own two kids by then. And, you know, it's a different world. I wanted to go back to a couple of things, though. I love this concept of, you know, knowing our strengths and living to our strengths, and then finding other people who can value their strengths. I think that's where a team, a family, a tribe, a community, like that's if you have ever listened to me talk, I'm all about building community. And, and there's a power in that because I don't want to have to feel that my weakness is a weakness. I almost want to find enough of a community where my weakness is just allowing someone else to live out their greatness. And if we all have all the greatness, then we don't allow room for anybody else. Then I also wanted to go back to another thing. Um, let's see, when you were talking about, you know, the greatness and, and I, I loved when you said that we could fit the purpose to the qualities. I think that is so important rather than having this like predestined purpose that you try to force upon people. But I also really want to stress that it is so often our misdefinitions that mess us up. It's not what we don't know. It's what we think we know that we're wrong about. For example, I don't think, again, it's going to per perfect almost an ideal versus real, you know, a perfect child is gonna be messy and disobedient and push boundaries and all those things at some times because that's how children learn and grow and do things. I, I specifically wanna to go to a classroom though because I think we are so confused with these poor kids. You know, When you're doing art, you're gonna be messy. And if you are try, if you tally every artist that's ever lived on the planet, I'm sure there's a handful of good ones who have been clean and, and totally organized but very few. And so if you're the adult, the teacher, the parent who's demanding that the kids always be neat and organized, you are mostly crushing art. If music is a thing, we have some musicians on the, on the call, you're gonna be loud. You can't learn music passionately, go into music and be quiet all the time. So again, I'm talking to parents and teachers, if you're telling the kids you gotta be quiet, you gotta be organized, you gotta be clean, you are by definition crushing all kinds of greatnesses they have. And then therefore, I'll just go one more step in a classroom. Again, sitting still and being quiet is not how learning happens. We can look at any human under any situation. We are loud. We like to learn by trying. We like to talk to our neighbors. We learn socially. We learn through doing. So if we're going to demand that kids sit quietly at their desk and don't talk to their neighbors, Again, we can get into the educational debate about maybe there's some value to that, but there's a lot of greatness that's being stifled. There's mm -hmm. a lot of kids that have all kinds of great qualities that they are trying to enact and they're being told by well-intentioned adults. I don't want the teachers and parents to feel like the bad guys. That's what I love about Nurtured Heart. They're well-intentioned. They're doing what they think and what they've been trained to do. But I just wanna go back to, again, I don't know that a loving home needs a sink with no dishes, you know, like, mm -hmm. I think it's the definitions that are confusing us. 
And so if we actually spend the time to look at what some of these great qualities might look like out in the wild instead of just in theory, uh, it will make us so much more just relaxed and happy when those things are happening. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, labels are for jars, right? I mean, they're not they're, they're not for anything else. And and I think you know a piece of that is is each classroom is different, right? Each makeup of the classroom is different, and to allow whatever that classroom is to be, and then work with that. You know, I was working with uh, a kindergartner, I think maybe first grade, and they still had circle time in the morning. And she was disruptive. It was 20 minutes and they wanted her to be there and sit for 20 minutes. And she got, she got suspended from school. Cause so I said, you know, I asked her, and asked, can I come and watch for a week? So I came and watched the shortest amount of time she could last was three minutes. So I said, okay, we know she can do three minutes. So I said at two minutes and 45 seconds on Monday, we're going to pull her out and celebrate what a wonderful job she did. It's her whole time. Now it took nine weeks for her to get to twenty minutes, but uh, we but you don't stay in the same place, right? The trajectory was going in the right direction, and we're not in charge of timing as much as they wanted to be. You know, like well, we can't have this, but you can't have it. But she can't do twenty minutes. She's telling us that, but she can do three. So let's celebrate three and get to four or three thirty and get to four. And then it was 30 second increments and then it was minute increments. And then it, it gets exponentially faster because you're creating all these neural pathways that are going to say, okay, yeah, I can do it. And so, you know, and that's, that's the beauty and kind of what we're talking about. Here. Can I, just, can I interject one thing very please. quickly on that point? It's, it's the witness factor that I also Correct. like that I hope everybody else hears. There's some other kid in that classroom that could already sit for circle time for 20 minutes, but they struggle in some other way. And when they see this young girl being valued and being built up, then they learn that when they're struggling later down the road, they can be supported and built up. And the, the witness factor is so important. And I want to, I'll piggyback on that too, because I, I, my training is in trauma. So I deal with a lot of families that have had severe trauma and the trauma happens is because there's no witness. The trauma happens, whatever the trauma is, the download of the trauma to me happens because there's no presence there to support us. There's no presence there to say, hey, what you're experiencing and what you're feeling is 100% correct. And I'm sorry that that's happening versus there's nobody there. And, and I'm confused. Everybody's telling me I shouldn't be feeling this way. And, and so having that witnessing piece is so, so valuable. And having the relationship focus of nurtured heart, having that relationship is a contradiction to to the trauma of having no presence. You know, that's that's really interesting, Richard, because um, to, I'll, I'll, I'll translate it. There's so many different ways and languages to talk about the same thing. But when I mm -hmm. hear what you said, like in my language, it goes to, oh, yeah, like, of course, that connection, that witness being seen, it, it allows the, the child's nervous system to actually move from the stress response or fight, flight, freeze into connection, into uh, connection. And that's a different part. I mean, just on a physiologic level, that's a different mm -hmm. part of the nervous system. Yeah. Uh, and, and you have to be able to move into that for connection. And what you're talking about, I, I was just thinking, oh, yeah, that allows that to happen. Exactly.
Yeah. So and that's what and that's what I love about this is to listen to the concepts of what we're all talking about. Don't get caught up in the context of how it has to happen. Don't focus on my words, but focus on the concepts. And you can, if you do that, you can apply this in so many different ways. Absolutely, absolutely. We have a lot of conceptual thinkers on this call. I know that. Um, that's one of my superpowers as well. And sometimes I have to pull myself out of that because I can get too mental and too analytic and theoretical and building models and all that. It's great fun. And I have to remember to come back into the heart um, and to really get back into that connecting relationship place. Um, I love that story, though. Thank you for sharing that about the circle time with your granddaughter. Was it your granddaughter? No, just a, a uh, person I was working with. In, oh, person you were practice. That, yeah. You know, I just really like that. And I'm so glad that they went along with you because what a powerful demonstration that is not. I mean, to like Freddie said to the other kids, but what a powerful demonstration to that teacher. Just yeah. That like, oh, now she has a model of that. And. It will be more or he or she will be more likely to do that in the future, which makes me feel really happy because, oh, my goodness, um, I, 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 yeah, we all I know we have such a heart for these kids that are being squelched. As trainers, we're always looking for ways to make Nurtured Heart measurable and marketable and all the things that needs to be to just help us out, you know, living our lives again in the ideal versus real way. And what I love about that story is, again, to take a long view now. If you tell somebody, we're going to work with this girl and she's going to get 30 seconds, 45 seconds, a minute better, maybe this week, they'd roll their eyes and go, oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. But if you work with four or five kids that way, and then you take the nine-week look to say, now look, we have an entire classroom who can all make it through 20 minutes after nine weeks, that looks like a monumental success to anyone who's been around a classroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what can happen in so many other fields as well. And then on a much lighter note, I want to say we've all been doing way too much Zoom because I see the heart above your head, Richard, and I keep thinking it's like a reaction that you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, I want a heart reaction too. <laughs> yeah, so one of my kids put that up there on my green screen, not knowing that nobody could see it. I want to have my virtual background on. And so like, here we are. So it's meant to be. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So everybody, so I, I yeah. just want to. I think it was Howard or Lisa said like the 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 biggest distances the world is from your heart, from your head to your heart, right? But our, our our brain and from another, I'm also a heart math advanced trainer. So what we learn from heart math is that our brain works better when it's going through our heart, right? That that is when it's out on its own. It's not there to help us. That's where all the WMDs come from. When we're in our greatness, when we're well being, we're seeing life through our heart, then through our brain, mm -hmm. right? And, and just to add some Jewish thought into that, like if we have a Shema prayer, and it says that we're supposed to love God, our higher power, whatever we believe in, with all of our heart and all of our soul, not our head. It doesn't say love God with your brain because your brain doesn't operate in that world. It can't operate in that world, right? Um, because truth doesn't know anxiety truth doesn't know worry and doubt right that's that's our man-made makeup of our of our brain and so when we try to operate with our brain except for two plus two equals three or three uh, three sides to a triangle you know it that's where it helps us it doesn't help us in trying to figure this stuff out 
You know, Richard, I don't really know you other than I'm jumping in on this, but wow, we have a lot of intersection points in our world, um, yeah. <laughs> more than you know. So, and, yeah, I would like to get to know you a little bit better as yeah, well. Heart business, of course, I, that's what I work in with. I do heart math on steroids called heart rhythm meditation, and it's mm -hmm. much further than heart math. But but anyway, the way I put it is the heart the heart sets the agenda and the mind, mind carries it out. Um, yeah. A little simplistic, but I kind of like that. And um, and also just, well, I resonate very deeply, you know, with, with the Jewish references. But I also, somebody um, told me yesterday, reminded me that, um, never mind, I can't remember the story to tell you guys. But it, what it had to do is something about putting, that the, the heart was higher than the head. The heart was yeah. kind and a uh, beautiful reminder. And I, I'm kind of, you know, honestly, I, this is so synchronistic because I'm doing this fearless 30 challenge and it's all on my social media and posting videos and I'm getting prompts. And yesterday the day one was like, where do, what's my deepest, my, my biggest stand. And so I had to really drill down and it really was about connecting people in the heart. And mm -hmm. get from mind to heart. So thank you for just kind of popping in very synergistically um, with with my world. Thank you. Um, yeah. So we should probably close up in the next few minutes. Um, and um, I have so much more to say. And I'm I'm already cooking another recording that I want to do specifically with this group um, around trauma and nervous systems. And because I know that Kathleen and Richard, you both have so much um, experience and, um, on that topic specifically. And I have lived experience of it, not professional experience of it, but lived experience of it. Um, and Freddie is just game for any conversation. I know, Freddie, you get so much credit for all the community that's been happening in Nurtured Heart because you have been mm -hmm. fighting for it and not stopping. And I know so many people and I'm connected to so many people through this. Um, and I think that's how I will close per myself. And then you each can throw in a comment or two if you want. Um, yesterday I was at an event and um, I was chatting with somebody who I had connected, uh, a mother that I'm connected with through Nurtured Heart. I had connected her to this friend of mine who has a different experience that they could connect on. And she said, how do you, how, she was like, how do you know her? Like, she's such a cool person. Where did you find her? Like it's international. She's not even in our country. She's in Israel. So, and I, and I just, I got this like swell of pride of like, you don't even know the people I know. Like I know such cool people and I'm talking to them and connecting with them and chatting with them on WhatsApp. And like, where do we know? Like, how do I have the privilege of having you three in my little studio? Power. <laughs> just like connecting I mean my life is so full of amazing people who are so aligned with everything I care about and make me stronger and make me feel I remember in the beginning of Nurtured Heart that sense of like my kid's gonna whop someone in the park and I'm not gonna react the way other parents want me to and then I'm gonna be judged because I'm the crazy parent who lets her kids do whatever they want because all I said was reset and then I you know and 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 I'm so I have such a community I have such a we're such an army of of, of light um, that we're just all together. It's just, it's so incredible. So I give Freddie a lot of credit for that. And I also just feel so 
enriched and lucky and um, privileged to have this connection. And I just want to thank you all for your, I guess there's courage in there, there's willingness in there, there's flexibility in there, there's passion and love in there for um, being willing to do these recordings, to be on, on recorded where we don't know where this is going to go, but we're giving an offering of ourselves and our light to the world um, so that others can also have a taste of what we've been blessed with. So you are all like my cool friends. <laughs> Thank you for being my cool friends. I, I'm, I don't even know how to begin to wrap my head around the luck I've been dealt with. So thank you, God, and thank you, you all. And um, that's my closure for today. Does anybody want to say a last minute goodbye? And then we'll wait till next time. I, I just want to add that you just made my entire high school class roll over somewhere because you just called me <laughs> a cool friend. <laughs> oh, and Lucy, you are definitely a cool friend. I feel honored to to join you and Freddie and my new friend, Richard. Yeah, but I'll just concur with all of you. You know, it's been great getting to know you, Freddie and Kathleen and Lucy. You know, I know there's great things ahead for all of us. And, and just to remind people that greatness is already in you, you know, and you don't have to go find it. You know, you just have, kind of have to unlock it and it's there. And if we can just kind of settle into our heart, the answers, the answers are there. Amen. 